0: Um, there was a, a group of people in China a few years ago. I heard about this. I actually saw the video, uh, and it was really exciting and, and also encouraging and then kind of sad at the same time. But there was this video of these uh, a bunch of Chinese guys in China, and they get this box. It's a suitcase. And the box comes into the room, and someone pulls out their phone, and they start videotaping this moment. And they open up the box, and you just their faces light. They are so excited and they reach into the box and they pull out this gift and it's multiple gifts and they all got one. And you see in the video, it's it's really bad quality. In fact, I was going to show you, but it's so bad. I didn't even want to show you. The quality is so bad. But you see them just grabbing these things and they're hugging and they're kissing and they're jumping around and some are crying. And you realize as the video goes on that what they've gotten is their first version of the Bible. It's the first time they've actually held one in their hands. Now they've heard about it. People have read it to them, but they had not been able to have their own version until now. And so when they open up this suitcase, you just see this overwhelming joy that they have finally gotten the word of God in their hands. And I remember when I first watched the video, I thought, wow, that's powerful. And then it hit me kind of how sad it is. That we here in America, and in many other places around the world, we have so much access to the Bible that it's almost like we have too much. I think about it like a TV. Uh, how many of you have cable? All right, you've got direct TV or whatever great thing there is now. right, you've got so many channels that you don't know what to do with, and oftentimes, even though there's so many things that you could watch, you end up just watching nothing because you feel like there's nothing on, though there's so many options. Yet, if you remember back in the days of bunny ears, anybody, you ever have that? And you used to like turn them and shake them, and I got channel two, what do you got over there? I got 11, okay, don't move. Just keep your hand there, don't, and some of you are like, what is he talking? You're too young, if that's the case. But there was a day when we didn't have all of the, or we just didn't have the money for cable, so we used bunny ears anyway. Some of you may still be doing that in your apartment right now, sticking out the window. That's great, good for you. But it's amazing how when you only have access to a few things, you care a lot less about what's on. You just want to enjoy it. If you're only getting channel two, when CSI comes on for the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth time on its rewrite, you don't care because you're just enjoying something. But then we get into the world of, all of these options, and it's almost like so many options just saturate it so much that it's not the same. And, and I just wonder if somewhere along the way, here in America, here in the area, however you want to describe it, that we've got so much access to the Bible with our phones and different versions and big version, small version, big font, small font, the New Testament, the whole, t- you got study Bibles, you got com- you got all of these things, and I wonder if we just have so much access that it, it almost makes us not as excited to be a part of it. And when I saw that video, it reminded me of the desire for the word of God that I hope that I will continue to have, and and it inspired me to want to relook at how much I view the word of God and how much weight it has in my life. That's an important element for us to think about. And I know for some of us, you're going, man, I like the Bible, but every time I open it, I don't, I don't feel like I see a whole lot of stuff happen or sometimes I turn to a place and it doesn't quite make sense to me or I don't get it or I'm not sure and I just wanna encourage you As you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as you sit and let the word of God wash over you, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you things. It may take some time. You may need some help from some tools and resources and people, but I just want to encourage you to not turn away from that or give up on that, but to stick in it because this is one of the key ways that God is communicating to you and I. And in a world when you have access to to internet and all the different ways that you could seek information The information that is most trustworthy is what we have right here. And so my hope is, one, that we haven't oversaturated ourselves with easy access to it that we don't even turn, but also that we wouldn't lose its value or lose the power that it has because we simply aren't going there. And now I say all of that because if you think about it, what we're going to study when we transition into the Ten Commandments is really a small part of the big book, the Bible, And what they're getting for the first time is words from God that Moses is going to put down so that they could look at and see together and then respond to. We've been so blessed to have the full version. We've got the whole thing. It's all in our hands and we have access. But in this moment, they were just getting a small part. And so as we go forward, a couple things just to help you so you don't get confused. I may refer to it as the law because that's what it's referred to as Moses gets the 10 commandments. I may refer to it as the Bible or the word. That's just my own kind of abbreviation. That I use, but know that we're talking about the same thing here. This is, in sense, the word of God that you now have the complete version holding in your hand or on your phone or on the screen behind me, which, by the way, just so you know, I don't like that we put it on the screen because most of you just don't bring your Bibles. And I'm not going to say that you're lazy, even though you are. It's usually because you think, I'll pull it out on my phone, and then you don't even pull it out on your phone because it's up there. And I just want to encourage you, listen... If you have a Bible, I want you to bring it. Now, we're not going to stand at the door and check. We're not going to do all that. But I want to encourage you to bring it because there's something about holding the word of God. There's something about make taking notes. And I know that a lot of your notes, I'm not a note taker. My wife is a huge note taker. She's got like 10 journals. I got one. But the reality is there's something about having it in your hands. There's something that makes it come to life. And I think the phone is great. I love technology. If you know me, you know I'm a huge technology guy. But at the same time, it, there's something that happens. Something gets lost in translation in the middle there. And so I just want to encourage you, get passionate. If you bring it nowhere else. Just bring it here on Thursdays, because here's the deal. You're never going to walk in this place with a Bible and people think you're not cool. Around here, the Bible is cool. This is what we're talking about, all right? Now, maybe no one's told you that before, but I'm giving you, I'm telling you, you want to step up your wardrobe, you walk in with this thing. All right, and I'm telling you, and if no one else cares, I care, all right, and the Lord cares, so be excited about it. But that's where we're going tonight, because that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at what God says through these Ten Commandments and how they can affect us. But I want to start at the beginning of this moment and how it unfolds. So if you have your Bible, open to Exodus chapter 19. Verse 1, that's where we're going to be. We'll start here. Remember quickly as you turn, Moses and his brother Aaron have led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They've made a long journey. We're going to see they've gone about three months after they've come out of Egypt. And they're finally going to land at Mount Sinai. And they're going to have a moment with God. And that's where we're going, and it's going to be super exciting. So Exodus 19... Verse 1, I know now none of you want to look up on the screen because I just gave you a hard time about it, but it is on the screen. If you don't have a Bible or you can look on with someone next to you, it's a great way to get a date. Verse 1. I'll let that sink in. For those of you that were like, oh, I can't look anymore. That's just got real awkward, real awkward. Now I'm making it worse. So fun, so fun. (laughs) That is not a good reason not to bring your Bible either, all right? There are other ways to find someone. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. And we only have a few verses tonight. It's going to be real simple. You're going to be good. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. This, is, by the way, has been about three months of journey. They finally landed this destination. Verse 2. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. Now this is good to note that this is where Moses met with Jesus before at the burning bush. This is really about the same spot. And so Moses has already been here. He's leading his people back to a moment where he had an encounter with God in hopes that they all might through him have this similar encounter. And there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So what happens is they camp out at the bottom of this mountain, and Moses is going to head up to the top, and he's going to have an encounter with God. And so here's the first point. I only have four points tonight. Last week there was so many you couldn't even keep up. Now there's only four, all right? There's still kind of a lot, but you'll be fine. Four points. Here's the first one. God wants to meet with you on the mountain. God wants to meet with you on the mountain. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, look at what happened. Moses leads his people to the bottom of this mountain, Mount Sinai, and then he goes on a journey up the mountain to what? Meet with God. Now, we've talked about this numerous times, but let me remind you, in Old Testament world, not everybody got to speak to or have encounters with God. It was very, very rare. Uh, Moses is getting a special moment to meet with God. He's been meeting with God quite often. Moses had an incredible journey, but not everybody gets to have that experience. Now when we flash forward to New Testament days, which we are living in now, we know that because Jesus came, died, rose again, then ascended into heaven and left with us the Holy Spirit, now every one of us that are believers in Jesus Christ get to have that same kind of access to God, which they didn't have back in the day. Now we've talked about that a lot. but he here's a picture of the value of this moment. So Moses heads up to the mountain and he has an encounter with God. Now here's the thing I want you to see. We say God wants you to meet with him on the mountain. God wants to meet with you on the mountain. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that even though you, and this is as a believer in Jesus Christ, please don't miss this, but that you as a believer have the ability to meet with God, to have an encounter with God, I am afraid that we're living in a generation and a day when people are not doing that. That even though they have access, that people back in the Old Testament days would have given anything to have, we seem to find ourselves not experiencing that moment. Even worse, so many people come to church, or open up a book from some great Christian author, and our expectation, though we may not say it, is that, hey, you go up to the mountain, you meet with God, and then you come back and tell me what you learned and present it in the form of a message or a worship song or a best-selling book. Now, those elements are not wrong. That's great, we come to church to be encouraged, to learn, to grow, to sing, to praise, and then we go out to live this stuff out. But the reality is, if the only time you're having encounters with God are happening within the building, you are missing the opportunity that God has ordained for you to have access to him, to meet with him, to hear from him, to learn from him, and to grow with him. So many people wanna know, what do I do with my life? Where am I going? How do I do it? Well, go to the one that created you, right? I mean, it's kind of simple. Spend some time with the master so that he might begin to reveal to you what he has in store for you. And so, but I believe, I really believe this. We're living in a culture that though we won't admit it, we're simply waiting for other people to go for us. And we can't wait. And I hope you come hungry to learn and to grow. I do. Please don't misinterpret that. But we come hungry to hear what someone else heard from God instead of taking advantage of the opportunity that you get to do that in addition to getting, that was powerful, don't, don't forget that moment, but in addition to what you could hear when you gather within the congregation as a church or reading that best-selling book from that Christian author or that worship album or fill in the blank. There is a moment here that God has ordained, and he wants you to do Can you imagine what our generation would look like? Can you imagine what our world might look like if Christians would go and meet with God? You know how many more best-selling books there would be? Tons. You know how many more uh, teachers and all the things that would be developed? There would be tons. Why? Because people are meeting with God, and when you meet with God, you can't help but have it overflow. We'll get to that in a minute. The reality is, and I need you to hear this. I want you to hear this, and I believe this is what the Lord wants you to grab on, is God wants to meet with you on the mountain. Now, what does the mountain mean? What, what does that mean? Well, what we're seeing, I'm fixing it, don't worry. What we're seeing is, oh, that is- Every time it pops, just know it is important, okay? So if we pop all night, it's a good sign, right? Keep popping it just in case they fall asleep right now. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now, let's talk about the mountain for a moment, though, okay? Remember some Old Testament folks, okay? Do you remember Abraham took his son Isaac, what, up to the mountain where he was to essentially lay his son out on the altar. Thank the Lord God stopped him, but the point was to prove his faithfulness. We see that Moses went up to the mountain. Later on, we're going to see that when he comes back down off the mountain, his encounter with God has affected him so much that he's literally radiating as he comes off the mountain. He had no idea. We also saw uh, other people that have gone up to the mountain. they've experienced God, and when they come back, it changes the way they are, and it changes the way they live. And this is what we want you to see. Now, understand this. mountaintop experiences are uncommon and temporary. Now, what I'm encouraging you to do is have encounters with God on a regular basis, but when we refer to a mountaintop experience, we're referring to what really what happened with Moses here. This was an uncommon thing, it was a temporary thing, he was only up for a short time and then he came back down. My hope is that when you have a moment with God that was so powerful, that changed you so much, that revealed something you'd never seen before, you would see it That and realize that this is a moment that God has ordained for you that is unlike other moments you've had in your life. Now, we can strive to have these mountaintop experiences, but we're okay settling with the idea that encountering God in a normal way is okay. Uh, a picture of this. We come into underground. There are some weeks we walk out of here and we go, that was insane. What happened? That was just so so powerful. It was just so something was different. And there's other nights I go, man, it was good. And other nights are like, yeah, he wasn't that good. But that's good. But it's a whole bigger picture here. But there's so many different moments. But every time we get together to encounter the Lord, it's a good thing. They just don't always look like the same thing. And so what I'm presenting to you here is the idea that what Moses has is what we're going to identify as a mountaintop experience. It's uncommon. It was temporary, but it was incredible. Now look at what happened. So a mountaintop experience affects a couple things. Number one, it affects your mind. Typically, you learn something new in this kind of mountaintop experience. When you encounter God in a way that's different than others, it's usually when you see something or learn something about him or who he is in your life that you've not experienced before. Some of you think about times you've read the Bible and you had this just aha moment where something came to life and you've never seen that before or you never realized that before and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, and it's exciting, right? When I get ready to teach my goal, and it doesn't always happen, but... My goal is if I can't find, I just want to find one thing. If I find multiple, I'm excited, but I want to find one thing that I didn't know before because hopefully if I didn't know it, some of you didn't know it and we could present something new that might encourage you and inspire you. Why? Because I want you to leave here so excited about the word of God and what you learned that you want to go continue to study on your own. That's our hope. I don't want this to be the end all, but rather the launching pad into an incredible experience and a life of daily pursuit after god so a mountaintop experience affects our mind but it also affects our emotions if you don't walk away from a mountaintop experience and go well you yeah, know i didn't, didn't didn't really feel anything i mean you will know you will, know, you will feel it in your bones. You will feel the presence of God. He will fear, may, feel maybe nearer than he was before. That's not really true. But it's that kind of feeling that takes place. Not only do we learn something, not only does it affect our mind, but it affects our emotions. And then finally, and this is the key, a true mountaintop experience will affect the way we go forward in life from that moment on. A mountaintop experience changes our will. Our mind, emotions, will, it changes our will. We walk out and we don't say, well that was a great moment, I'm gonna continue doing what I'm doing. No, that was such a moment. I learned something about God or who he is in my life. I experienced him, I felt him. Now I'm going to take this and I'm gonna walk out and do this. And Moses models this for us. He gets these instructions from God which we'll see in the coming weeks. And he says, now we're gonna take it and we're gonna live this out. This is what we do. He was radiating as he came off that mountain because he had such an experience with God. Now, my hope is not to set up some bar that you go, I've never had that experience. I don't know if I ever will. But rather, you approach spending time with God with the hope that God might encounter you on a frequent basis. And every once in a while, he might just rock your world. It is an amazing experience when God rocks our world, or translation, when we have a mountaintop experience. But remember, they're uncommon, and they're temporary. I'm not trying to set you up for something you feel like you'll never achieve, but rather something to encourage you. to say, man, I want to continue to pursue God. I want to have a moment like that. Typically, a mountaintop experience will change your future. It will change the way you thought your calling was going. It'll change maybe a decision to stay in a relationship or not. I mean, those are pretty low level. Sometimes it's significantly bigger. It might call you into the mission field or might call you out of a job into a new one. But typically, a mountaintop experience affects the way you go forward. But here's the key. Mountaintop experiences always come from simple spiritual disciplines. It is going to be nearly impossible. I'll always leave the door open because God's gonna do whatever he wants to do. But I would say nearly impossible to have a mountaintop experience if you're not simply just fulfilling the daily spiritual duties that God has called us, simply spending time with him. How will you have an experience with God if you don't give him a chance to show you who he is or to show you something new? And so, so often we want the big experience, but we're not willing to just simply go day by day, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll listen to you, I'll study your word in hopes that you might enlighten me. I want you to hear tonight that God wants to meet with you. That's his desire. And and what's sad is, we could say this and some of us know it, But yeah, we walk out of here and then if we really looked at our life, if we were really honest, we would go, man, I'm not really giving him very many opportunities to have an experience like that with me. We've got to open ourselves up. God desires to meet with us. The second thing I want to show you is, and this is really powerful, salvation precedes coming under his word. Salvation precedes coming under his word. Now let me unpack this for you. Just a little bit. Before God ever lays out the commandments, before the people of Israel, what did he do? He brought them out of Egypt, and he even provided for them. Remember, water from the rock, bread from heaven and from the ground. God had provided, God had brought protection, and God had moved them out of their devastation and into or on their way to the promised land. And we see the same thing. Look at verse three. While Moses went up to God, the Lord God called to him on the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, tell the people of Israel, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now this is really cool. an eagles' wings. So the picture here is that little baby eagles, when their mom is transporting them, she would not grip them in her claws, though some animals, some birds particularly do that, but rather she would put them on their back, on her back, and they would just kind of hang on for dear life, and that's how the baby, the mother eagle would transport her babies. You didn't know that? Now you know, it's so fascinating, you learned something new. That wasn't the big moment, don't worry. But that's how, that's how the mom would transport the eagles, and what God is saying is, is I did the same thing. I essentially put you on my back. You trusted me when it made no sense. I took you into the air, not close to the ground for safety, but into the air so that actually you would be safer because I knew that I could hold you up, says the mom eagle. And I took you and I put you on the back so that nothing could touch you. Even if you think about it, in in biblical times, they they could be using arrows, which arrows they would use to take out eagles. But even if an arrow was to hit the mother eagle, it wouldn't touch the baby because it would have to go through the mom first. And you see this really cool picture as God says, I put you on my back. I carried you out of here. I took care of you. I gave you provision all the way through. And then he says, now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The picture of God separating them, taking them out, and bringing them to safety also reminds us of something from that eagle. The mother eagle doesn't take the babies with her to then drop them off somewhere and leave them. She transports her baby eagles to then go plant somewhere, wherever it is, and then to stay with her children. And this is the picture of God. God moves us out of darkness. What we're translating in modern day salvation moves us out of darkness into the light, so that we might have communion with God. It's really a beautiful picture. The same thing that He did with the people of Egypt is this. The people of Israel is the same picture today that God pulled them out of the darkness of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, God comes into you and I's life and says, I will take your life of sin, I'll pull you out of that sin, I'll make you a new creation, and I will transplant you in a place where now we can have communion together. This is a beautiful picture that God is translating to us as he's speaking to Moses. And so what happens here is I want you to see that the expectation to fall under the word of God comes after we step into relationship of Jesus Christ. And some of us, this is a problem because we have friends that are not Christians and we get mad at them because they don't do the things that we think are right. But the reality is until you're a Christian, the, the Bible is nothing but a book that maybe has some good poetry and a little bit of history. It really is no value until you come under a relationship with Jesus Christ, then realize that this is actually the bread of life, that this is the book that changes everything if I will follow it. But so many of us look at our friends and we go, man, how dare you act like that, talk like that, live like that, be like that. We expect them to be different, not realizing that the problem is not the word. The problem is they haven't started a relationship with Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. By the way, this is often an argument to an extent with atheists. There's the argument Christians have is, okay, well, if you acknowledge that there's evil in the world, then you have to acknowledge that there's good, and if you acknowledge that there's evil and there's good, then you have to acknowledge that there's a a moral law or a moral code, something that would differentiate between evil and good, right? There's gotta be something that determines what's good, what's evil, And then they go to, well, if there's a moral law and there's good and there's evil, then there has to be a moral law giver because somebody has to give us the moral code that would then determine what's good and evil. And if there is no God or no moral law giver, where does the decision come from what's good and what's evil? Now, I don't know if it's always the best argument, but it's definitely one of the main arguments that Christians and those that are atheists typically have discussion over because where does this lead? Where does this come from? The picture is for us as believers, which is all we're worried about in this moment, is that our our moral code comes from the word of God. What the Lord says, that is our covering. This is what we come under. This is our desire. But the picture is, that is only for the believers. When you became a Christian, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, now, from this moment on, not to get to God, but in response to God, you now choose to come under the covering of the word. Now, this is why if you have Christian brothers or Christian sisters, and they're starting to mess around and jack around, you can come over lovingly, put your arm around and say, hey, I love you, man, but what you're doing is silly. You got to stop. Let me help you. What can we do? Let's do that. We call that accountability. But you got friends that are non-Christian. You go, man, listen, the Bible says this. You need, and they're like, I, I don't care. That doesn't mean anything to me. And the truth is, they're right. Because until salvation has taken place, this is just another book, another book of poetry that's really well written. But oh, how the difference. And what I want you to see is that because of our salvation, this is our response. Our response is to come under the word of God. So point three is this. To follow Jesus means what? To come under the word of God. And here's the key. This doesn't mean sometimes, maybe, if you feel like it or if it's convenient, the Christian... The follower of Jesus Christ is identified. One of the key identifications is that you submit under the word of God, not under the convenient ones that are convenient for you. And I don't mind following this, this, and this, but I'm not, I'm gonna mess with this or I'm not worried about this. The Christian says, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you desire, I will come under this word in response to you and what you have done for me on the cross. Here's the verse in verse seven. It says, so Moses came. He called all the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. What happened? They come and they hear that God is speaking, that God is getting ready to move, that these ten commandments are coming. And they say, whatever the Lord says, that's what we'll do. And that's the picture of the Christian. After salvation, it's your life is, Lord... Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. But here's the problem. There's a lot of people that claim to be a Christian, yet they choose not to submit under the word of God. Now, I'm not here to judge you, but here's my warning. It's very difficult to, to argue that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ if you don't choose to submit under the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Be careful with that. It doesn't mean that we have it all together and we are just nailing life. That's not reality. But if you are simply choosing that the word of God has no value in your life, I would say that there is much argument to be made that it's possible that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's something you've got to investigate. Don't take that as aggressive. Take that as a loving, kind encouragement to say, ask yourself a question. There are some people that simply grew up in a Christian home and mom and dad sat you down when you were four and said, hey, we love you so much. Do you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy or do you want to burn in hell? Uh, heaven with mommy and daddy, that sounds good. And the problem is, in America, it's possible to simply say, well, I made a decision when I was four, and then never do anything with it, never come under the authority of God, never allow God to be who he desires to be in your life, never to submit any area of your life. And yet, still, in America, it's okay as long as you show up at Christmas and Easter. We call those Christers, by the way. And the reality is, it's not. Now, I'm always trying to be careful. I always want to be careful here. I don't want to be the judgmental guy. I don't want to tell you where you're going, but I want to be honest with you to say if you can't say that this book is what you come under, you really need to investigate where your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is. Does that make sense? This is really important. And I know this isn't the fun stuff. You're like, oh, maybe we'll not come back next week. I understand. But this is the reality. This is the truth, and I want you to understand it because there's not many people that want to tell you this because it isn't fun, but it's so important that we understand it. Remember, coming under the word of God doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. doesn't mean everything's going to fall in line, but it is an honest desire to say, Lord, show me. Show me how you want me to work. Show me what you want me to change. And the problem is with some Christians, with a lot of Christians, is that they never change because they never open up the word of God to say, Lord, show me the areas that you want me to change. If you would read the Bible very quickly, you would start to find all of the problems in your life. It happens to me. When I read, I go, that's a problem. I I have that problem. I wish I didn't have that problem. Now I've got to teach on that problem, and I need to adjust that problem before I can teach on this problem. What is going on here? I thought it was all supposed to come together. The reality is I am jacked up just like you. You're probably more than me. I'm totally kidding. All right? I'm just as jacked up as you are. That's, that's human nature. But the reality is and the difference is I desire to come under the word of God. I want to know these things. I don't want you to look at me and go, man, he is just so selfish. What a selfish guy. And I never realize that's a problem and I never deal with it. Now, some of you are really kind and you will just say it behind my back to other people, right? But the Bible says, hey, Bozo, as you're reading my word, I want you to see I'm bringing selfishness to light so that you might realize it's your problem and I want you to embrace it. Why? To get to God? No, but in response to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, I wanna glorify you, Lord, so help me bring it to life. Now, a lot of us don't love it when we find our broken areas in life, but really a, a, a true... Let me not say it, not say a true Christian. That's not a good way. Someone that's serious about following the Lord will love discovering the areas in their life that they need to work on. Because our desire, our true desire, should be we want to be as much like Christ as we possibly can before we leave this earth. So instead of everybody talking about it in a circle, you're the one that would much just come tell me. Let me know, man, if I'm selfish or if I'm filling the blank, let me know so that I can work on it. Because I don't honestly I don't really care what you think, but I care what he thinks. And so if you see something that I don't see, come let me know. I'm going to get like 10 emails tomorrow. That's all right. Come let me know, though, because I want to be more like Christ. That's got to be our desire. Listen, do you see the difference between the person that's honestly seeking this versus the one that's like, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I made a decision when I was four and I show up to church every once in a while and I kind of like the idea of God. There's a huge difference here. Now again, we'll be careful on judgment and who's where and all that. That's not what this is about tonight. But I want you to take an aggressive look at this. Also, ladies, here's an encouragement for you. It's for the guys too, but I, I like to share this with the ladies. You're gonna get married one day, some of you. Maybe all of you, I don't know. Whoever wants to be married. You're gonna get married. And I want to give you a warning. You're going to marry a man, and that man is going to have problems. Okay? Now, Sarah is blessed that I've got basically one problem. All right? I'm just awesome. No, I'm just kidding. The reality is all of us are messed up because we're all human. And you are too, but I'm just being nice to you and picking on the guys. When you get into that relationship and then transition into marriage, when time is right and all of that, what you're going to find is there's going to be some areas in his life that need work, just like in yours. And as a, as, a, as a woman, as a helper, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, as the helper of your man, your natural desire, is going, to, especially you lions in the room, your natural desire is going to be, I want him to know the 18 things that are wrong with him right now. And you're going to want to just say, babe, I love you, but while we're eating breakfast, can I just share with you a list that I came up with? And he's thinking... <laughs> Oh, this is awesome. This is going to be a list of dates or a list of things she wants to buy me for my birthday. And you're going to open up that list of gifts. And you're going to start going, listen, you're rude, you're jealous, you're selfish. You don't think about me. You never write me a card. And you're going to go on and on and on. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to want to change your man. And what I'm going to encourage you is this. There may be a little change that might come from you. But most of the time, particularly in the struggle of relationships, most of the time it's going to be received in a way that's really hard to swallow and take a lot of time for it to happen. Now, why am I telling you this as an encouragement? Well, here's the encouragement. If you can find a man that will surrender under the word of God, you will find yourself far less times sitting him down to share with him something that you really feel like is a problem. Because the Lord, as his shepherd, is doing that for you. He is the one identifying the areas. And it's the same for us, guys. If we would come under the word of God, we will always need that good accountability, but we will find ourselves far less times finding all of the errors in life because the Lord, as we study and as we draw close to him, he's bringing those things to life. We can harp on sin all we want here, but the reality, the best thing we could do is say, hey, push toward the Lord. Be with him, spend time with him, understand who he is and try to be like him the best you can. And what you'll find is sin and God just don't go together. The more you move toward Christ, the more sin just falls off you because they simply don't go hand in hand. And so as an encouragement to your marriage, one day for some of you, I know it's really far and you don't even want to think about that right now, but know this. You find a man that prays, not just when he needs something, but always, and you find a man that is submitted under the word of God, and you constantly hear him. Maybe not daily, maybe not weekly, but you constantly hear him go, man, the Lord is working on me. He showed me something today that I really need to work on. When you hear that, you found yourself a good man. So until you hear that, just hold off, all right? Say, it's nice to meet you, but I'm not ready for you right now. I'm not interested in you right now. And then you find that man and you grab tight because the reality is these are things that can really affect us. This is is what God would desire for you and I that we would come under his word. And here's the last thing and I've already talked about it, why? Because the word of God shows the people of God how to live a life that is pleasing to God. So often we wanna know, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? Where do I go? How do I do this? What do I... And the word of God is our guide. It directs us, it leads us, it navigates us. Look at verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. We'll come back to that in a second. And be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. What God says to Moses is, I want you to go down. I want you to tell the people, I want you to tell them to get ready because I am coming. And he says, I want you to wash your garments. Garments. Now we can translate that later on. The picture of Christ washing us clean. But right now he says, I want you to wash their garments. And here's what's really cool: if you remember, water was a scarce thing for them. You remember this? They had to get magic water from a rock. It wasn't magic, of course, but they had to get water from a rock. So the water that they had was a gift from God that was scarce as it was. How do you wash your clothes? The trust that they had to have, why? Because they knew that fulfilling what God had asked them to do was more important than what they thought they needed to do. And that's the reality for all of us in life. We've got to realize that whatever he says, that's what we trust, and he will provide all the way through. The word of God helps the people of God know how to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's that simple. What do I work on in life? Well, you could ask your friends, You could ask your boyfriend, girlfriend, your parents, you could do all that and that's fine. Or you could study the word of God and watch as he exposes with love, but exposes the areas that he wants you to work on. And this is the never-ending journey. And I hope it doesn't feel like a a never-ending battle that you're gonna always lose, but rather the never-ending goal, the the lifelong desire to wanna grow closer and closer to God, to wanna be more and more like Jesus. It should be a desire for us. There's always gonna be something to work on. Even if you live to be 99, 109, however old you are, you are never gonna get to a place where you can say, man, I've, I've truly done it all. I have grown in every way. I am, I am basically Jesus, just not, not Jesus. You'll never be able to say that. There's always gonna be an area, but can you imagine? See, the negative side is never ending. I gotta keep working, I gotta keep, but can you imagine what it would be like when you, most of you in your 20s, when you hit 60, 70, 80, I'll stop there in case you're not sure if you wanna go that long, and you go from 20 to 70, and every day, every week, every month, constantly is, you know, appropriate, obviously in moderation, but always asking yourself, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I, what do you want me to work on today? What do you want me to work on this month? What am I navigating in life? How can I be tomorrow? Can you imagine what you will look like from 20 to 70 if that was the life you live? And so we can look at it as a negative to say, oh, it's a never-ending battle. We can say, I can't wait. To be that guy. Do you know how many people in our church when they hear about the ministry that we're doing here, particularly with just young people, and they hear and they go, I would have given anything to have met Jesus and started to live for him in my 20s. I couldn't even imagine what that would be like because I didn't start until I was 40 or 50 or even 60. We have an opportunity here to represent Christ in a way that a whole lot of people will never get the ability to because they didn't encounter him until late in life. These are opportunities. It's so beautiful, and isn't it awesome that it's so easy to find what God would have us to do because it's all right here in this book that he's left for you and I, that he's given us unlimited access to. What a marvelous thought, but here's the last piece. As beautiful as it is that God's given us the word of God, given us so much access to it, it also jams us up because very quickly we realize that we cannot fulfill all the things that the lord has laid in front of us and as hard as we try we we'll always stumble because we're human and we're imperfect but the beauty of this and really the beauty of the 10 commandments before we can even look at them and say lord how can we apply these to our life and what can we do with these the beauty of it is before we take any step further we realize that this was one of the ways that god was identifying to the people of israel that you are going to need my son because you will never be able to fulfill all look at their response whatever you say lord we will do it and the lord's probably like you're gonna try you're gonna try but you're not gonna be able to but praise the lord that you and I live at the time that we do, that Jesus has already come, died on the cross, and opened himself for each one of us to invite him into our life, to take all that junk that you've ever done in your life and to wipe it and wash it white as snow, to move it as far as the east is from the west and to make you a new creation. How marvelous is that? And now, when God looks at you, Even though you and I are still messed up, we're still sinners, we still make mistakes, we still have flaws, God no longer sees this imperfect person, but rather the picture, if you will, is he sees Jesus standing in on your behalf saying, he or she, they're with me. They're with me covered by the blood of Christ, standing in on our behalf. That's what Jesus did for you and I, and that's the beauty of this. So we're not doing these things, and before we get to the commandments, we're not trying to fulfill them or follow them because that's how we get to God. We're doing it in response to the beauty of what God did for us on that cross and who he is in our life. If you have had even one small moment that God has affected your life, He brought you out of an addiction. Whatever it is, one, even just the smallest moment, that alone is worth the gratitude of a life of obedience. But we have gotten the biggest thing he could have done, which is the sacrifice of his own son. It's a marvelous picture. When I think about this, um, I think about, well, be honest, having my daughter Kyla has helped me see God in a whole new way sense a whole new light, patience in particularly. Um, I think about God and I think about how often, okay, so let's back up, tell you the story. There's a bunch of them, but I'll tell you just this one. The other day I took Kyla shopping because she loves to go shopping. That's one of her things now. I don't know if she got it from her mom. I don't know. Sarah's not here to defend that. All right. Um, And I took her shopping because I wanted her to be happy and because I love her. So I took her shopping and Kyla decided that her her way of shopping would be pick it up, look at it, drop it, pick it up, look at it, drop it, pick it up, look at it, drop it. And so here I am, single dad in the moment, Sarah wasn't with me and I'm like running around trying to get the stroller, which I never should have brought and I'm trying to put all of these things up and at the same time, I'm trying to say, Okay, Kyla, can, can you come here real quick? Hey, can you stop? Can, can you not do that one? Oh, not that one, not that one. And I'm just, I feel like a never-ending little, and then I finally get her, and I grab her by the shoulder. I'm like, okay, we're not going there anymore. We're gonna go this way. We're gonna go this way, okay? It's like, no, 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 I wanna go that, wanna that. And because she's at two, and she's not quite there yet speaking. And I'm like, no, no, we're gonna go this way. And then finally, she just goes, No. And she sits down on the floor. And it would have been awesome if she would just sit there and twiddle her thumbs. Oh, no. She just starts screaming in the middle of the store. And so I'm going, do I grab her? Do I not? Am I going to look like the abusive dad if I pick her up? Because, I mean, she's just flaring around. I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, I'm just going to walk away. I didn't do that. Don't worry But I That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm just going to walk away. Call Sarah. Come back home. Pick her up. She's at the store. I'll see you at home. I mean, what do I do? And I, I'm sitting there. Okay, I'll be honest. I got in the car, and then I started to process after my my blood stopped boiling. And I'm thinking about this, and I go, man, this is is what it's like with God. That was just one kid. Can you imagine all of you, and me included? (laughs) Can you imagine what it must be like for this loving God who cares so much about us? He wants so badly to direct our life. But here's the beauty of this. Even in the store, even while she's on the floor and she's screaming and I'm just like, people are looking at me, I gotta pick up clothes, what am I gonna do with her? Do I discipline her? Do I love her? I don't even know. How do I do this? I love her so much, but I don't wanna hurt her, but I want her to learn. I don't know. At the same time, the picture was, I never stopped loving her. I've always loved her and I always will. Now in that moment, I was not happy, for sure. But I wasn't looking at her going, man, one day when you mature, I'm gonna really love you then. One day, when you can take care of yourself, I'm gonna love you then. But for now, I'm just gonna endure. No, I've loved her all the way before and all the way through, even when she acts like that. And so the beauty of this is God sees you and I the same way. He's not waiting for you to be obedient so that then he will choose to love you. But rather, he says, look, I love you. I love you, and here's what I did for you with my son Jesus on the cross. My hope is that you would see it, and out of reverence for that, you would respond. At two, she's never going to do what I ask her to do. It's just the way it is. I've learned that. I learned the hard way. But a day is coming when she's going to grow up, and I hope her response will not be, I fear dad because he might hit me, but because I love my dad and I respect my dad, I want to live in a way that will honor him. I want him to be proud of me. That's the picture here. And it is a battle. And you know what? We're never going to be perfect. I think about this with my wife, Zara. I try really hard to be like the perfect husband. I'm not even close. I can't even joke about that. with you. Like say a joke, like I'm almost there. No, I'm not even close. I'm a te- terrible. It's so hard. As soon as I get one thing, there's like 10 more. But the reality is Sarah doesn't look at me and go, imperfect husband. Here we go again. 10 things. Now it's 11 things. Well, now it's 20 things. No, she looks at me and says, I see a guy, a man that I love, that loves me and is striving to be the best husband that he can be. And that's what brings her the honor and that's what shows her the love. She knows I'm never gonna be perfect, but it's the effort, it's the desire to be there and to show that love through everything I can do to be the best husband. And this is how God sees us. This is how we've gotta see it. I know I'm never going to be perfect, but he is worthy of everything that I could give him. How do we do that? Well, how do we know we come under the word of God so that he can show us and reveal to us? Listen, I can't beg you enough to hold this thing a little bit closer to your heart. To read this just a little bit more, even if you read it every day. To stop and take a little bit more time. I love the Bible in 90 days. I think it's awesome. But if you read it so fast, you don't get anything out of it. Take some time to allow the word to wash over you, to soak it in. Keep listening to people teach. Keep reading books, that's all great. But don't ever let that overtake the moments you get to spend with just you and God. If you need help with that, let us help you. We want to do that, but don't neglect this. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to meet with you. And I promise you, if you'll meet with him and you'll make that a regular thing, you're gonna have some moments where you're gonna go, I I didn't understand the mountaintop thing until then. And now I get it because I experience God like I've never experienced him before. And that's what I desire for you. It'll radically change you. And just like when Moses came off that mountain, man, he was radiating. That same opportunity comes when we spend time with God, that we would radiate, that we will be different. We will live our life different. You will have more patience with people when you read the Bible because it'll humble you. And you'll stop worrying about what everybody else is doing wrong and start looking in at yourself and go, you know what, before I get mad at all these people for the 100,000 things they're doing wrong, let me just stop for a minute and look at myself because there's a lot I could work on right now. And that's the picture here. And I hope that's encouraging. I know it's just the setup, but we gotta understand this before we jump into the commandments.